Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, how about that? We had a basketball game. Not a good basketball game, but a local one. A little interest. Aggies take down Wyoming. You know, when a 20-win team meets a 20-loss team at home, what do you expect? A 20-point win for the Aggies. Why not? They're up by 15 at the half. They were in charge most of the way. So the Aggies get the win. Now they get the weekend off. And they're getting some help. Other teams on the bubble are losing. Joe Lenardi's got his latest update. The Aggies are in the field. They're actually four spots in. They're still in the last four in, but they're the top team there. they got a chance to keep winning. They don't have to play Saturday. they got San Jose at home next week, win that, and then go to the pit and win there, and then go down to the Mountain West Commerce Tournament, and they got a chance to avoid a playing game in Dayton. Keep winning. It's a pretty simple formula, and with San Jose coming up in a week to get ready, they ought to do it. It'll be senior night. All right, let's hear uh, Scotty G was on the call. He had Craig Smith on the postgame show. We'll listen in as they talk about the win over Wyoming. Hey, it's an early night. I just felt like, you know, my number one goal after the game – uh, not for tonight. The number one goal is to win the game. But after the win, my number one goal is to delay Scotty. Uh, he probably thought he was going to be home by 10.30. And I was like, you know what? Let's make it 11.30. I, I did make a joke. I'm like, we'll talk to Coach somewhere around 9.30. Hey, I didn't know. I'm always there. available right away. But, you know, it was cool. We have a yeah. young kid that's been fighting some heart things. And we took a picture there. And we kind of wrapped it up. And I tried to be relatively quick with our guys after the game, win or lose, just because they're not listening anyway. <laughs> so you get more out of them the next time you meet. Um, and then Sam um, uh, stood up and, and gave a game ball. That was pretty cool. It was actually a really nice game ball kind of thing. So, um, so anyway, well, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. And then I do got one more thing. So in the radio show, um, what day is today? Wednesday? Uh, yeah, Wednesday. So Monday, Monday. remember they asked yep. the question, if you stop at a convenience store, like what do you, what do you order or yep. what do you get? Yeah. And Bean said um, – Chester's spicy fries, hot fries and a, yeah. yeah, hot fries and a Snapple, and I said a Mountain Dew and corn nuts. So the kid that asked the question was just to the right of the base over there, and he had a Mountain Dew and corn nuts, and he, he gave them <laughs> to me. Yeah, so I showed the guys like only in at Utah State and in the spectrum does this stuff happen. Well, it was awesome. Well, Coach brought up a really good point where he said, you know what, like you know. There's, there's times during a coach's career where everybody wants to take your picture and give you corn nuts and Mountain Dew. And then there's other times where they don't want to take your picture and they may want to give you some other drink to get you out of town. Yeah, like January 1st to January 8th so you this gotta, year and then about uh, about a week later so you, <laughs> after you, a three-minute debacle. you got to enjoy those moments while you can. Yeah, no doubt. Hey. Like I, I always said, like, and I maybe get to, but I, like, I, I, uh, when you win, I'm going to enjoy winning. Like, guys work – the players work too hard. Everybody works too hard. Like, I'm going to enjoy it till midnight, and I'm t- I wake up in the morning or whatever, one in the morning, whatever. <laughs> and when I wake up in the morning, I'm on to the next. Like, what do we – when I say enjoy it, like, I'm going to – Yeah. Like, there's adrenaline. Like, you can smile. You Now, there's certain wins like tonight, 16 turnovers, and just some mindless, senseless ones, I thought. And some of that was us, and some of that was Wyoming, certainly. But <clears> – <throat> so we got to correct that. And I thought we have been doing a much better job with that um and so um um and then when you lose like i know i beat the living snot out of myself when we lose you know what i mean and i pulverize myself and it's almost so um you know what do we need to do to get better and all that kind of stuff so anyway you never want to get too high or too low but you got to enjoy it when you can you're only young once that that is true uh it, it was a little <laughs> not that i'm really young <laughs> yeah. but well, you know what? Let's talk about that for a second. Because you talked about 200 wins. You're like, well, that's just a sign I'm old. Yeah. Um, 50 wins 
in a year and three quarters is uh, is pretty doggone impressive. I didn't know that until the, the Kelly Stewart, who played at South Dakota, she did a, the TV game. She said something about that. But anyway, you know what it is? All that stuff, you better have a great staff. And you better have really good players. And um, you do your best as a coach, like we said after the <laughs> post game, to put guys in a position to succeed and to give them confidence and help develop them and make them better. And you do everything you can. But basketball is the ultimate player's game. It's such free-flowing. You can not mani- you can manipulate a few things, but it's – and they make all those decisions. And I always say, like, when we do this recruiting, you got to recruit guys that can make decisions, especially the way we play. And because you got to, on a snap second, be able to deliver the ball on time on target. We ran a play that we hadn't run much this year, and we scored right away off of it. And we scored again off of it, and then we ran it in the second half one time, and they were just jamming the living um, tar out of it on Nimi. And uh, it was Bean's guy. Yeah. And Bean makes a great cut, and Diogo right over here, right in front of us, kind of throws it over the top of Nimi to Bean and mm-hmm. makes a great read off of that. And, like, we've never talked about that. We've never – Diogo just made a great play on that thing, and Bean made a great cut. And so you better have tough kids that buy in, that are all about it and accept being coached, and then those kind of things can happen. So I've been so fortunate um, to be able to have been surrounded by great people. And that's not a company line. Like, that's the facts. Yeah. So there was a game earlier tonight. <laughs> I know. Uh, we were Usually we in. save this to the end, right? Kind <laughs> <We laughs> of talk about reversed. the game. We, uh, we flipped I, it. I just wanted to get a little bit uh, – talk a little bit defensively because it was such a different team um, – that they've kind of played all season a different kind of scheme. I thought, yeah, and now they're missing a, a player inside to throw it to, so they're kind of five out, moving around. Just, just kind of walk us through some of the, you know, um, things that went wrong with defense and some of the things that, uh, you know, we were able to do to, to win. Well, I, I thought their, I know their record certainly isn't what they wanted to be, no question about it. Uh, but since we've played them, they've had four games, and they were ahead of Boise almost the whole game. Like, literally, it was a tie, I believe it was a tie game with a minute 30 to go, but they were ahead most of the second half, and they lost. And um, uh, then they went and they beat San Jose at San Jose, and then they got beat pretty handily at New Mexico, which happens a lot by, for a lot of teams. And then they led wire to wire against Colorado State. Yeah. Wire to wire. Like, and they were up eight with, you know, a minute 15 to go or whatever. Yeah, 19 with. But, yeah, so um, – so they clear, and they made some adjustments since losing that kid. They're doing a lot more motion, mm-hmm. a lot more just kind of high ball screen. Whereas the first time we played them, they were doing this ball screen continuity over and over and over and over again. And I think they're a lot harder to guard now. And they play small ball, and you saw it's like 13 drills to three uh, in the right corner. Uh, or no, that was 11, mm-hmm. who's not a great shooter. But 13 can shoot. He made three threes against Colorado State, hits a couple tonight. So it puts you in some positions that are awkward and difficult. I was not happy with when we kind of subbed out that first lineup, right? There was a long kind of run, and we put in some of our guys that maybe haven't been playing a lot. I thought Sean wasn't his normal self tonight. I thought Kuba struggled tonight. Um, and, and they were getting downhill on us in transition. So when we called timeout, we just, I mean, I kind of lost my mind on the guys. Um, but part of it is we just said, no, we're sending three guys back because we're just we're giving up too much in transition. We're going to make them a half-court team. So it started with that. Uh, secondly, we guard personnel, meaning in the scouting report, like number 22 is a no right, meaning 
don't let him drive to his right. He's going to really struggle left. Right? 13 is a no left guy. Don't let him get to his left hand. He won't be able to go right. And so in that first half especially, Bean's late on taking away 22. He overcompensates, just spins on him, goes to the rim, and I think he got fouled and got an and yeah. one. 13 gets a catch on the top of the key. Nimi is overplaying his right hand. And he's a no-left guy. So he just walks to the rim. And so we had a few of those occasions. Then when they kind of made their run, we became, you know, that other part of it is the first half. They scored, according to the stats, they scored 11 of their 27 points in the first half off of our turnovers. And that's a problem, right? And so um, that was our big focus at halftime was that and guarding personnel. We did make an adjustment on 24, who's a very good player. Maldonado's a – I think he's a heck of a player. Um, with some screen and roll stuff, and I, I don't know. I'm not sure it really helps, so we went back to our normal um, deal on him. I thought Nimi really protected the rim well. We missed some what we call Pepperdine actions where we like to do this a lot, but you, you pass to the wing, let's say, and you have a shooter kind of coming at the – the guy with the ball, and you kind of freeze. Are they going to set a ball screen or are you not? Or you kind of hesitate, and we usually switch all that, which we're usually good at because we do it in practice all the time. But, like, Bean misses one. Uh, I forget who it was with. And then 12 just kind of walked to the point of the rim and hits a little kind of little like little floater push shot kind of deal. So, um, anyway, you know, we still held them to 35% in the first half. Um you know, and 36.8 for the game, which is solid. But certainly the biggest thing tonight for me is just our, our, our turnovers. I just I just thought we really struggled with that aspect. And that's some of that stuff, too, is you get up by 20. And that's what I said in the second half to them. All of a sudden we get up by 20 and we stop playing Aggie basketball. Yeah. And we start doing our own deal. We start doing stuff that's not there. Like, just play the game the way it's meant to play and respect the game. And good things happen. Like, why would we change, right? Yeah. I thought Fonz was really good late in the, the big part. That what was it? I think it was the time for the last five six minutes. That first half, we just right really finished in a great way, Mm -hmm. and that small lineup was very good. Fonz kind of got cooking a little bit. Sam obviously uh, really got going that way, and that lineup was very good for us all night long. How uh, how how critical are these six days off? Um, or or you got well, sometimes we're winning. Yeah, we're, we saying. have our second longest winning streak of the year. Sometimes you want to keep playing, and we're we are healthy yeah. right now. We just had that snafu last week going to the Fresno with the uh, Fonz being sick, yeah. Abel vomiting. You know, an hour and a half or hour and fifteen minutes before the game, and Sam took a hard fall, so he didn't do much going into that game. But um, but it's still good. Yeah. I think it's kind of a chance to regroup, regather, and then really finish that last week of the season on a on a great note, and then flowing right into the conference. Tournament. Tournament. So it is good. Um, Do you get a chance to sit back and maybe work on things that you don't have a lot of time for? Yes. Uh, and that's the hard part of this time of year. I mean, uh, I'm very kind. We're not the most athletic team in the world. It's easy to see that with the exception of a few guys. And so at this time of year, man, like the, the legs feed the wolves, as um, Herb Brooks said in the movie Miracle. And, and there's a lot of truth in that. So we're very cognizant about we do a ton of skill development stuff. Obviously, we do a lot of preparation for our opponent and do some up and down. But, I, you know, it's just a very um, 
cognizant about overtraining them and doing too much, right? And so, and then it is a little different this time too. You know, last year we had the our, our last buy. The second time was we beat Colorado State to clinch the title on a Tuesday. We didn't play for nine days going into the conference yeah. tournament, which was, and it really showed that first game. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Now it might have helped us on the back end. You know, like game two and three of the when conference. You played Fresno, yeah. But it's also a little different with this bye because we played on we're playing Wednesday and then we play on Tuesday. So I know that it's only one less day, but it is kind of a little different <laughs> in how we're going to approach some things this way. So, uh, like I told our guys, we got to be smart on how we're treating our bodies, getting the appropriate sleep, getting the right nutrition, doing all that stuff because when we come back. Um, Two, well, we'll have we'll practice probably on Friday or Saturday. I haven't decided. But when we come back on Sunday to get ready for the Tuesday game, everybody needs to be fresh, like absolutely amped mentally, physically. And don't be the guy that stays up till 4 and 5 in the morning and eats like garbage. And now you come back on Sunday and you just feel like, you know what I mean? It's a stretch run, man. Let's be the best that we can be. Congratulations. All right, boys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Fast, yeah. Fastest to 50 in school history just really? pitched out Liddell Anderson. Uh, Liddell, man, that guy. Yeah. God no bless doubt. him. But, um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of crazy to think that stuff. But this place is an amazing place, unbelievable tradition, a great lineage of coaches certainly, and phenomenal players. So um, we're just so blessed to be a part of it. Yeah, Liddell did it in 66. You were able to sneak it in in 64. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that, well, I mean, come on, 50 and 14, that's a – that's a heck of a, a, heck we'll of a take record, it. coach. We'll take it. Thank awesome. you. Yep. Congratulations. Go Aggies. All right, there's Craig Smith. There's Scotty G as the Aggies get the win. NBA's back tonight. Jazz are back tomorrow night. Six games tonight, mostly in the East, although the Houston Rockets play the Warriors tonight. All right, we'll have more hoops coming up. Stay with us. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time to welcome in Greg Hansen, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the Sprint store nearest to you. Greg, good morning. Hey, how you guys doing? I thought you might go skiing today. <laughs> <laughs> go play golf. <laughs> <clears throat> Come down here and we'll we'll get a cheap time in the next ten minutes. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> So we're curious right now if uh, people uh, who are Pac-12 fans are just getting tea times unconcerned about the future of the conference or if there's a lot of hand-wringing about the current state of affairs with uh, Colorado obviously losing a coach after just a year and getting his money doubled even though he had a losing record and exposure for the Pac-12 network and the long laundry list of things that people love to complain about when Larry Scott's name comes up. Yeah. Well, you know, what really struck me last week during the whole Colorado episode was that in a four-year period, Big 12 schools get $140 million more million over those four years in media rights money than the Pac-12 schools. And, I mean, that's – how do you ignore that? Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I don't think that you can. Uh, I think that you have to look at it and see where is this going and where is it going to continue to go and what does this discrepancy mean for the conference and how can they overcome it? I mean, does it only mean they can build bigger and better buildings and pay more money to coaches? Does it go beyond that? Yeah, I think that's the issue. Yeah, I, yeah, it's going to have to go beyond that. But how can yeah. the conference get to where it wants to be in order to actually go beyond it? Well, the Arizona State president last week, Michael Crow, who's probably Larry Scott's only uh, backer, I know he said that um, um, wait till 2024, it's all going to change. And you know, I don't know if anybody believed that. Um, think suddenly in 2024 when the new media rights deal is done for the Pac-12 that suddenly Arizona and Utah are going to get $100 more million over a four-year period? I don't know. That I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. I looked at UCLA and Stanford home games this year and just wondered where the passion was for either one of those clubs. And to a large oh, degree, man. and to a large degree, you know, LA and San Francisco, that that's where the people are. That's that's what the money that's going to drive the Pac-12. You know, um, I've been traveling in the Pac-12 since 1980, and the first few times I went to football games at Stanford and UCLA, you know, and I was a newbie, I, I was wondering, wow, is this all they draw? And it, it never really changed. Maybe one or two years when UCLA had a Rose Bowl team late in the season, fans jumped on. And at Stanford, even in those terrific years under uh, Harbaugh and David Shaw, they had trouble drawing 50,000. So I'm kind of to the point where I think San Francisco and L.A. people aren't going to be college football fans. Yeah, I think, you know, I grew up down there in Phoenix myself, went to ASU. My first job, Greg, was at the Casa Grande Dispatch, if you could believe that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great one. Yeah, you remember, actually, you probably would remember her, Lynn DeBruin. Oh, very well. Um, she, she died, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. she came up here uh, working for Associated Press. And uh, actually, yeah, I think she was breast cancer, and it, it did it did unfortunately yeah. take her life. But anyway, she and I worked together at the Casa Grande Dispatch in 1985, if you, if you can believe that. <laughs> that was a pretty talented <laughs> <laughs> yeah, So, uh, So I've been involved in this conference, not professionally as long as you, but uh, having grown up in it, and you look at these teams, and you're right, the passion isn't there. And, and then I worked at the Salt Lake Tribune for a number of years and traveled around the country, and so yeah. you see the passion that exists in, you know, I've been to Death Valley, I've been to Michigan, Michigan State, Florida, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you see the passion that exists in those other places, and it's really nothing like uh, you can compare it to in the West. I mean, maybe uh, Oregon and SC if it's got it going on against Notre Dame or something. But I'm wondering, is that something that money can make up? Because you can have all the money in the world, but if you still hire the wrong people, what difference does it make? So do you think that if you had smart administrators hiring the right people, that they can somewhat make up for the lack of finances, the lack of passion, and all the things that get in the way from the Pac-12 being able to be on par with these other Power Five conferences? 
Well, there's no better example than, than Arizona because when they're good, and even when they were just average, you know, they could draw 55,000 in football, but they've hired three wrong coaches in the last 20 years. They hired coaches who had been fired from Texas, John Makovic, fired from Michigan, Rich Rodriguez, and now fired from Texas A&M, Kevin Sumlin, and they all had lost their, I mean, they were out of their prime years, and they come here and just went flat, and suddenly Arizona had the lowest attendance last year since 1975, which is unthinkable, Yeah, because the community has gone from about 300,000 to 1.2 million, <laughs> and they had trouble getting 25,000 actual people in the seats last year. I mean, I think you nailed it. If you keep hiring the wrong guys like Arizona has, there's no end to it. And so, now they can't afford to pay off Kevin Sumlin. Yeah. So they're going to have another year where they draw 25000 So really it comes down more than to having the right commissioner making the right decisions at the right time and the right coaches doing the right thing, and this is really a people issue and we're focusing too much on the dollars. Boy, I think that's a huge part of it because, I mean, again, talking about Arizona, they could have hired um, Ken Nuiantololo, the Navy coach, who's just a wonderful human being. And he, how do you make a Navy into an 11-2 and program like they were last year and like they've been many years? He could have come here and rallied the whole community because he's a personality and um, instead, they went for the quote big name Kevin Sumlin, and, and he's detached, invisible, and so there's no buy-in. And I, I think it's like, I mean, Utah's got the perfect solution. I think with a Utah guy who works hard, totally bought in. Everybody in the community knows him, and his recruiting is regular. Uh, he can punch it out with anybody. And to me, he's the prize catch in the entire league. Uh, and it shows because they get in the, the league and in eight years, they're as good as anybody. Yeah, I've, I've often said in some of these places, like like Tucson and, and certainly here at Utah, and uh, you, know, you fill in the blank in some schools, they're doing it now with Oregon State, with uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, yeah. that it's important to get somebody who has a buy-in to the community, not somebody who's just looking for another job. And you bring up Rich Rod, you know, he had a little bit of success, and then he's looking to get out the door, and then it blows up on him. And so it not only do you not progress, but you set your program back X amount of years. So I believe it's important in these places that are a little bit off the beaten path to find guys who have a connection. So if they do well, they're more likely to stay. And Kyle Whittingham is the classic example because he's had multiple opportunities to leave. And now he's 60 years old. It doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere. And he's going to leave as the most successful coach in Utah history. Yeah. And you can't get a ticket to the games. They're expanding the stadium. There's excitement. He changed the whole identity of the Utah Athletic Department. Um, <laughs> what, how do you put a price tag on what he means to the school? This, I mean, and now Arizona State's really rising because they hired the right guy, even though he's, you know, he's 65 years old. He comes from the NFL, but he hired all the right people, and he engages the public. Um, and he's grooming his assistant coach. Um, Antonio appears to be his replacement. And the irony of that is Antonio Pierce played for Arizona, but the Arizona coaches weren't smart enough to hire him. <laughs> 
So, do you think an all-out PR blitz would help that much? Because it does seem like coaches are really busy and they kind of they're in their cocoon and they're not getting out and selling the program. And a lot of them will say, "Well, just win. That's what sells the program. Yeah. But you can't get out and sell it." And yet, you say bring in a personality like the Navy coach, then it would have had an impact in Tucson. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know how busy they are in their own cocoon because they've got uh, 10 assistant coaches and, and about six analysts and um, so many operations directors that you tell me they can't afford to go out in the public and, and stir up interest. Arizona just sent out its spring football schedule, and Kevin Sumlin is available for media interviews three times in six weeks. I mean, that's That's just... Almost unprecedented. I mean, college football coaches should talk after every practice. They always have. But Kevin Sumlin talks three times in six weeks. Yeah, what's his deal, man? He's just not good enough to be that, uh, I don't know what you want to say, uh, unavailable, I guess. Yeah, well, Rich Rodriguez was just like that, too. He, You could tell he didn't like to be here. And he tried to get the South Carolina job. And when he didn't get it, he was just angry. And the program blew up, and he got fired, and they had to pay him $6 million to go away. And then they hired Kevin Sumlin, who had been paid $10 million to go away at Texas A&M, and they guaranteed him $10 million if they fired him here. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's certainly not a Utah situation. It's good to be a mediocre football coach, huh? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he drives his white Porsche. You know, to practice, right, and park it right against the gate. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so when we hear the Pac-12 can't get in the playoff and all that, we have people uh, tweeting at us, well, it really comes down to USC and Oregon and maybe Washington because who else has really yeah. done much on a national level? Are you buying that, that the hand-wringing about the playoff really only applies to three schools and the other nine would be just over the moon to, to win a conference title? I guess looking at it at the surface, I would kind of agree with that. But then I see how close Utah came. Um, so, you know, it can be done. Um, I would sure like to see, not just because I grew up in Utah, I'd sure like to see them Utah stay at that level and compete at the top. Um, I think it can be done from somebody other than USC and Oregon. I mean, obviously Stanford's been right on the, the edge. Um I think Arizona State is, a, and people use this term way too often on them, a sleeping giant. <laughs> they've got a shot now. They, they really have. They have a terrific athletic director, and Herm Edwards is just a special guy. And they had a really strong recruit, recruiting class, so maybe you know they could edge up there. You speak of their athletic director, Ray Anderson. I was listening to him last week in a Phoenix sports radio station talking about after the Mel Tucker thing, saying. Yeah, the, we're just not going to go and pay those types of salaries because he got his salary doubled to go to Michigan State after going one season five and seven, and the conference isn't going to do that. I think to an extent he's talking out of both sides of his mouth because they did pay Todd Graham $10 million to go away, as you say, yeah. and that's a lot of money. And so they bring in Herm. So they're basically they're paying two coaches, so you know, it, it's in the millions, but they don't have the money to pay 
uh, for that coach, but yet they are actually in a sense when you look yeah. at it. Um, but it's but he's going on. His point is, you know, we're a comprehensive athletic pro, uh, conference, and you know, Bill Walton with his conference of champions stuff that he says five trillion times because we all know yeah. being involved in the conference that they're really good in all those other sports. And do you think that that's somewhat of a cop out? Well, we haven't gone in the football playoff, but look at us over here. And so they're trying to trumping it up in the in the way that the big uh, big uh, twelve did when they were go. We just have one true champ. We play everybody before they got the approval to have the conference game. The point being that you just trump up what you have, and that's what they're doing. Uh, and I'm wondering how how well is that going to sit with the fan bases? Yeah, we're really good in women's tennis but we have nobody ranked in the top 10 in football. I don't think it works at all because, just for example, Arizona again, Arizona's now number 11 in women's basketball, and they've got about the best softball and women's golf and men's golf programs in the country. But, I mean, who really cares? Right. Um, In a general sense, who, who cares? I know. Well, it's funny, the Team USA Olympic softball team was in Tucson last night, and then, you know, it sold out way in advance, and they've got a new $8 million softball stadium. But it's funny, I talk to people around the community, and they go, it's just girls softball. So it just befuddles me because Arizona's won eight national championships in softball, and I run into people all the time who don't even know who the, the coach is. Candrea. Yeah, Cat's a grand guy. I covered him at Central <laughs> Arizona College before he took over to go you, to you to go to Tucson. You, I'm going to hear more about you on a golf course. <laughs> well, it just so happens Greg it brought just, it up. I know, I know, it does. I get it. His brother coached hey, baseball at Washington in the Phoenix area, Washington High School. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did. You know, Mike Andrea makes well over a million dollars every year in his total compensation, so it's. You know, those programs are relevant. Yeah. So what would you advise the Pac-12 to do to turn this around and shake off this, uh, I don't know, this uh, malaise that is uh, gripping this this bad attitude that seems to be sweeping the conference? Do you think it's as simple as USC breaking through next year in football and Keaton Slovis being a, you know, a Heisman contender and, Suddenly, everybody looks at the league differently. That mm, means <laughs> I I want to say yes, but that means that all this analysis and hang hand wringing by fans and yeah. experts is just you know people crazy and up in the night. But then I look at the Big Twelve and think, man, if Oklahoma fell apart, would everybody be saying the same thing about the Big Twelve? Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. That could happen pretty quickly if Oklahoma fell apart. So before we let you go, Greg, uh, you know I, I'm an ASU grad. I want to I want to be clean on it, come clear on that. And I got to yeah. admit, one of my simple pleasures in life is going on Twitter and typing in the name Sean Miller after the Wildcats lose a basketball game. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I have a perverse pleasure on that. Uh, it is certainly a lot of animosity every time they lose if they happen to blow a 22-point lead, say, to Arizona State, which I didn't mind. But nevertheless, uh, how much heat, if any, is that guy under? Um, huge. 
because the NCAA notice of allegations is going to come at any time, and it could be pretty severe. He could get suspended. Um, it could blow up their recruiting class, and they could have – I don't know if he could survive. They owe him a ton of money. But, you know, to me there's a real thing about the shelf life of college football coaches or college basketball coaches, and he's been here 11 years now. and. I mean, he's just a hard guy. He's, a, you know, he's, yeah, he's just uh, comes across as angry all the time. And and when he was winning, and he had about five just exceptional seasons in a row, he was the most loved guy in town. And now he's stumbled, and then they're under investigation, and it, it's all changing. He's got these one and done guys, and they're not quite good enough to take you, you know, to the elite eight or anywhere. So. How do you get out of this situation? They almost have to start over. Well, we'll leave it right there, Greg. We appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot. Talk to you guys later. There's Greg Hansen, longtime columnist in Tucson, talking Pac-12. When we come back, Tim Lacombe talking Utah Jazz. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Purchase Ford fans on all you need tickets to an upcoming Utah Jazz game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream starting as low as $37 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford fans on all you can eat tickets now. Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz Radio Studio Analyst and former Utah and BYU basketball staffer. Tim, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good to be with you. Does this all-star break just drive you nuts? This is too many nights without NBA basketball. This is uh... too many nights. Yeah. It, it was nice for a minute. It was nice for a minute to catch everybody catch their breath. But yeah, it, it's it's a little extended into the week. Yeah. So uh, it creates winter doldrums or, or one thing, and then not having a really anything major to watch. Uh, I, I I concur. It's it's a little bit long. It's a little bit long, but I'm starting to get into. My second favorite time of the year. My first favorite is when I kick your butt on the golf course. Huh. The second, oh. I mean, huh. shots fired. True, would it? Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, you you got room for potential. You're not quite there yet, uh, but still too much of a fade. You know, I gotta, <laughs> gotta tighten that thing up. <laughs> this time of year is when I really start to get jacked about basketball. Once we've passed President's Day, now all these brackets and stuff. I don't really pay attention to them before, but now, you know, you know who's going to have a good shot to get in and who's uh, maybe can they move up a seat or two. And and now the NBA, the finish line is there. Uh, one of the and you can see it, and they know it, and somehow it just makes it all right. We got to turn it on now. Jazz got twenty eight games. One of the things we had on Chris Burgess last week, and he said to us, uh, he said we've told these kids. You got six weeks to go, and we need everything you got in these next six weeks because 
It's going to go by, and then it's going to be over. And with a senior-laden team, it's the same. I think it's the same thing in the NBA, you know, in terms of, all right, now's the time. When you were coaching, did you see, once we got into past the middle of February, did you see an opportunity, or did the, the, the players and the coaches, did you just feel it, now's really the time to turn it on? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think you get, you get a, a second wind um, when you can kind of, for lack of a better word, you know, see the barn. Um, the season is long, and there's, you know, a lot of, of dog days, you know, throughout January. Um, you know, you kind of go through that period of time where it's really exciting to play preseason games. You get rolling. You get through that. You get into league, and, man, it becomes just like knocking your head against the wall. Um, but when you can actually see, you know, you're weeks away from uh, a conference tournament uh, or in the NBA context, the playoffs, and, and everybody's at that point jostling for position, um, you, you do get a second wind. And then once that that second season kind of starts, um, it even brings you more because at that point, hey, you know, everything's kind of reset and everybody's got a chance. So, um, this is definitely a time where I think everybody's fatigued and, and worn out, but at the same time feeling, you know, pretty energized by what's in front of them. So unlike PK, I'm following the brackets like a month earlier, and then he's making fun of me, which is, uh, you know, no, pow- you, it's power the show for years. So preseason, dude. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm totally against the Lenardi October bracket. I draw, I draw the line against the October bracket. But by, okay, okay, but, we believe but, you. <laughs> but, but by mid-December, I'm all in. And I think part of the reason is that when you look at these leagues and look at Utah State and look at BYU and look at the schedules down the stretch, when Utah State went two of their last three games are Wyoming and San Jose and they're playing the 10th and 11th place teams, it's like a lot of the work has already been done. You know, the, the die has been cast. There's, there's only a little bit of wiggle room. When you were late in the season, did you feel that sometimes? Like, man, we got seven games left, but there's like two games and everything rides on them. Yeah, I, I guess you could look at it that way. But, I, I mean, I, I think at the same time, you know, I was talking with uh, Cody Seeger last night late um, down at BYU, and, you know, he's in the office just – obviously knows they've got Gonzaga on Saturday, but, you know, their focus, and, and it has to be, even though, you know, we look at a Wyoming or a San Jose State or a Santa Clara as, as not one of those big opportunities, they become really big issues if you don't take care of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, I mean, the mental focus to be able to understand, hey, every game, obviously there's some that are perceived bigger than others, but they all count. Everybody, like I said, is jostling for position. Um, right now, you kind of start playing the game where, you know, all right, I guess in, in the WCC, unless you're Gonzaga, I mean, everybody else is trying to figure out where they fit. Um, BYU looks like they're in a really great spot to get all those buys and get a second spot, which is huge. Um, but one night, you know, if you don't take it seriously and you kind of look past it, um, you know, and that that's really costly. So, yeah, I agree with you. There's there's only a couple things that you know, big things left, but you got to take care of those little things too. 
All right, so can a four-game losing streak, or actually five-game losing streak, I should say, for the Jazz, and a one-point win at San Diego for the Cougars, is that actually beneficial? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and you guys could talk about this. I think uh, I, I'm a big believer that disappointment or adversity can can motivate you to be better. Um, you know, and, and I'll speak about the BYU thing first. I mean, going out on the road, it's anybody's guess. I mean, you flip a coin, um, even if you're in a gym that is mostly BYU fans, which San Diego game was, I mean, still you're in an opponent's gym, you know, you're traveling, you're on the second half of a road trip. And really, at the end of the day, my philosophy is it's, they don't ask you how, they ask you how many. Um, um, you know, and so that one point win at the end of the day, the BYU got some real uh, strength out of that by, you know, having to execute a couple times to get scores, having to execute down the stretch to get a stop. Um and that kind of stuff really helps you as tournament time comes around because you're a little stronger because of it. Uh, in the Jazz situation, I say this all the time, they're playing against the best players in the world. And whether we think, you know, it's a watered-down roster, if guys are hurt, at the end of the day, they're still professionals. Um, they're still, you know, if you count up the teams, uh, they're still the best players in the world. And so... In the Jazz case, it's a matter of just kind of sharpening and refining. You know, they go through an 11-game win streak, and everybody is so excited, and there was some real strength in that because the Jazz figured out how to win games a lot of different ways in that 11-game stretch. In the four-game losing streak, I think everybody started to panic because, you know, it was defense wasn't great, and, uh, you know, everybody's talking about execution and focus, and, um, you know, will Mike Conley ever come around, and, all the stuff, and, and I think all that stuff just leads to you having a, uh, you know, it tells your story, it helps you define yourself, and I think what the Jazz are looking at now, you know, after winning uh, four more in a row is, is the five games at home, um, all very winnable, um, and kind of get back on, on track in that second half with a, a, a big, long win streak. And then, you know, have 28 games, like you mentioned, and 16 of them being at home and 12 on the road. And the way the Jazz have played on, at home, uh, for the most part, has been great. So um, use all that stuff to your advantage. I guess that's my long-winded answer. So in addition to defaulting to December brackets, when it comes to the NBA, I'm also win as many games as you can, get the best seed and the easiest path you can. And I know not everyone thinks like that. And I'm wondering if the Clippers are about to take it to a brand new level. Because they match up pretty well with the Lakers. They seem to be into resting as much as possible in the regular season. And maybe Kawhi Leonard is carrying stuff, previous injury, and will never really be right. And he really needs this. Or maybe they're just being ultra-careful and it's what he thinks he needs. But do you think the Clippers are going to dump enough games and finish fourth on purpose because they think they're that good and why not play the Lakers in the second round? It's two weeks. You don't have to travel in the NBA playoffs. Who gets that? That's an added little bonus, and they think they can beat the Lakers because they've already done it a couple times. How are, how are the Clippers going to handle the stretch run when everybody like Denver and Utah is trying to win? Are the Clippers going to be negotiating a fourth-place finish? It's interesting because, you know, I actually watched, you know, for the first time 
uh, everybody, you know, I talk about Jocelyn for position. The NBA is a little bit different, and I, I did see last year, you know, some gamesmanship down the stretch that I, I never really paid that much attention to because I was so caught up in um, in the college game. But covering the Jazz and watching, you know, the last few nights and watching how everybody handled it. One thing I do know about the Clippers, they've certainly got a plan, um, load management plan with Kawhi, and I think it's probably something that's written into his contract. I would not put it past them, nor really any team, um, to try to play toward a favorable matchup. I think that in and of itself, you know, I, I wish everybody played every night and that every game was important, but it's just not, doesn't seem to be that way. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it past them. I do think at the end of the day, playoffs are all about matchups. And, you know, the, for the Jazz, the biggest thing they can do in my mind is try to avoid the Rockets in the first round um, because that is, you know, the Rockets have, have really kind of proven to be um, really tough for the Jazz and the way they play offense and the way that they play defense causes them a ton of issues. Uh, in the Clippers' case, I, like I say, I'd, I would not be surprised if there is some kind of algorithm that they're already studying to try to figure out positioning because I think that's what if the NBA has kind of come to and, and front offices are about. So you mentioned Houston. They pick up Jeff Green and Damari Carroll. How much do you think they'll help? Well, it really all depends. I mean, I think that um, those guys, you know, we kind of saw what Jeff Green has left in the tank and Right, you know, I'd say it's a little bit spotty from what we saw. At least our our data points. Um, I've always been a huge Demari Carroll guy, but I don't know what he brings coming in now to the season. I think it all kind of comes down to how it fits, how guys accept them, how the chemistry is. Um, but two big, you know, athletic, strong guys that can probably do a decent job of. Uh, playing the way the Rockets play, you know, offensively watch Harden and rest or dribble around from the corner, um, get an occasional offensive rebound defensively, switch everything. Uh, so I, I would imagine, I, I don't know that that's a, a move that does much for them in the long run. Last thing, and then we'll let you go here. I'm curious, you know, Mike Conley, statistically, these last four or five games really different. Now, if we hadn't had the All-Star break, you know, he would have played another four or five games. It'd probably, you know, go a long way towards answering itself. But do you think, even if he isn't 25-5 and five guy, if he's even close to that, then all the gnashing of teeth over the last 50-whatever uh, games doesn't matter, does it? No. Uh, and it's actually something I preached you know, just because I've got such a level head. Uh, <laughs> okay. I've preached from the studio uh, night nightly when I'm in there is, you know, you have to let this thing play out. Um, we all want to, you know, reading a great book, and we all want to turn to the end to see how it ends. But the real joy in it is going through the story. Um, and, and it's pretty evident that Mike came in, and the expectation in my mind was through the roof. Um, and there was really no credence given to the fact that he uh, was coming to an entirely different locale, you know, geographically, um, trying to settle in with a whole bunch of new teammates um, and a different style of play. I do think that, you know, the biggest issue that has been there for Mike is he's used to having the ball in his hands and making pretty much every play. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, whereas now, you know, with Jazz, the, one of the, the great things about this team, and then one of the things that's been difficult is they've got a bunch of guys who can initiate offense, who can play in ball screens, um, and they got a bunch of guys who are capable of doing that. So my thought is that, like you said, DJ, I think that all of this gnashing of teeth, uh, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we'll all come back and say, you know, I don't know if it was a great move, and we may come back and say it was the best move Jazz have ever made, or somewhere in the middle. But the beauty of it is that's why we get to watch. Um, you know, there was the all-star break, but now we get to start playing games again here soon. Uh, and with five games right out of the gate at home, we'll all get a real good look at how the how this continues to evolve. Tim, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll hear you on the Jazz Broadcast. All right, guys. Thank you so much. There's Tim Lacombe. Former BYU assistant, he was on the Utah staff before that, and now he's on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.